I want to take you tonight to Luke 21, and I don't want you to get nervous about that. If you are in the book of Luke very often, you know exactly what Luke 21 is, the main storyline and function of it. But uh, there's some interesting connections that in my introduction I've probably blown a little bit but it'll make some sense to you we read Luke 21 and uh, as we go through the chapter it's easy to see uh, in Luke chapter 21 that it's a it's about eschatology it's about the end times it's about what's going to happen at the coming of the son of man and what will be the sign? And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. But I want to show you something that's very interesting, okay? Can I teach for just a minute? And if we get preachy, we'll, we will. But Luke 21, I don't know if, if you've ever put these two pieces together. That this chapter does not start with eschatological context. If you look at the opening of this chapter, it starts with sacrifice. The chapter does not start with talking about the coming of the Lord. It said he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow, now this is not poor as in feel sorry for her. He's stating a matter of fact. This poor widow has cast in more than all. In other words, you take everything combined that has just happened. And this woman has outgiven them all. Jesus, you know that's not true. You know that's not true because we have we don't even know what they gave. And we have a limit on we know there there is a digit. We know right here what she gave. She gave two mites. So we know what she gave. How can you judge and say that she gave more? Back when we began uh, preparing for this miracle, this building that you're sitting in right now, Brother Jeff McLean and Sister McLean helped us lead our capital campaign. Is there anybody here that remembers what the slogan was for our capital campaign besides Brother McLean because he had to type it out so many times? <laughs> Sacrificial giving is mountaintop living. And then there was, a, there was a, a thing that we would say after that. We would say, it is not equal, does anybody remember? Not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. It's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. So let me go ahead and let the whole room breathe right now. I'm not going to preach on giving. See, some of you thought I was fixing to say the dirty word. I'm not going to talk about money. 
I want to talk about the spirit of this woman that leads us into where we are tonight. And I want to go ahead and read our focus verse for the week, verse 36. And we're going to connect the dots between verse number 1 and verse number 36 momentarily. I feel like we've been living in Luke 21 in 2020. It's been a crazy year. Jesus is talking about all the signs of the end times, and he says this. Watch ye therefore and pray always. Pastor, why is it important that we pray 24 hours a day? Pray always. That you may be accounted. Here comes the big word. Worthy. To escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. To be counted worthy. What does it mean to be counted worthy? Does it mean that I can live standards of holiness so strong and so separated that God owes it to me? Can I be so apostolic? That God owes it to me to be counted worthy. There is so much more to being counted worthy than having people say you're good enough. And a lot of this measure has to do with your motive. I think motive is and must be the driving factor behind every eternal decision that we make in the kingdom of God. And I know I'm moving a little slow right now, but I really need you to lock in with me. At the beginning of this because it's so vitally important to be counted worthy. I am not worthy because you say I am. I am not worthy because some doctrinal idea says that I am. I am not worthy because some creed says I'm worthy. I am worthy when I present myself to the Lord and I allow Him to judge the matters of my life, no matter, and please don't take this in a negative context at all, but no matter what you think of me, what He thinks of me is what matters most. If it was up to, now I'm, I'm, I'm just warning you, I'm fixing to get off into some stuff. I'm going to teach a little bit. It's going to end up being preachy because it usually always does. But I want to tell you tonight, if, if, if you'll just let Pastor talk to you for about 10 or 15 minutes, we'll segue into where we're going. But I, I want to tell you that I feel like Pentecost is as guilty as any movement in the world for developing our own subcultures. We have our own little world, especially in the North American church, of what Pentecost is supposed to look like. You watch, it's funny. You think that, that it's just cliche until you go to conferences. And people are dressing exactly the same. The women are buying their clothes from the same providers. Ties are very similar. Oh, yeah, it's because we watch magazines. No, it's not. We watch each other. We have our own little deals. We have our own little ideas. We have our own little concepts. 
That's why we can look at so and say, so and so and say, man, they pastor a good church. You mean they pastor a good church? Is it, does it become a good church at 36 people? Or a good church at 360 people? Or was it a good church when it started with two? And we have these ideas of what a good church looks like. And what a good preacher looks like. And what this, this has created is a vacuum, a subculture of Pentecost that is so interesting to me. The way that we look at things and... This is, might make us a little bit uncomfortable here tonight. So just lock in with Pastor. Because this chapter is about the end time. And, and I, I preached to you a few weeks ago about in this end time, the only thing that's repeated three times in the end time is deception. If you believe that, say amen. amen. If you believe in Luke 21 that deception is proven to us to be the, the dominating spirit of the end time, then you have bought into the right club. That's why what I'm fixing to tell you right now is so vitally important. We as a movement talk about other denominations and things that are so traditional. Yet we are absolutely traditional in our own ways. We are extremely unorthodox when it comes to Book of Acts principles. Yet we claim to be the Book of Acts church. Oh boy. We talk about how we want to have the power of the book of Acts. And to be quite honest with you, uh, again, I don't, I, I don't want this to come across. I hope it's abrasive in some way, but I don't want it to feel negative. But when you look at a lot of what we do, there's a broader brushstroke of Rome on us in a lot of senses than there is Jerusalem being the mother of us all. And we have our own ideas, and, and you've got sects within uh, our movement that are labeled kind of like politicians. Right. Ultra conservatives and ultra liberals, and then people in between. Right. You got some people that say if you wear anything but a white shirt, you're going to go to hell. Don't judge me. I was thinking about this standing in the shower tonight. I was standing in the shower and I, I was just thinking about some people that I've been around in my life that I've preached for, that I've heard preach. And I'm talking about some hills, man, that they've been willing to die on. And I thought to myself, I wonder if brother so-and-so, and I'm not going to tell you who it was because I was in my shower and that's none of your business. <laughs> but I was like, I wonder if that man who said he had a conviction about wearing collared shirts. If someone were to walk up to that man before his death, put a gun to his head and have a blue shirt in their hand and say, put it on or die, sucker. We'd find out if it was conviction or preference. Let the choir say amen. What I'm saying is that I feel like we create a subculture of preference and we call it conviction so that it sounds spiritual. And we focus on things that could maybe be trivial, but we need to be godly enough and man enough to say that 
This is something that I feel in my heart God would have us do as a, as a church, as a conservative group of people that we believe. And so we've got all this together and thinking, oh, Lord, have mercy. We are the conservative group in the world. Nobody is like Pentecost. Nobody is like us anymore. There's nobody that does it like we do it anymore. And we really have this root system that we just think is so, so very deep. And you, you start talking to Pentecostals and you say to them, tell me about the history of Pentecost. And they take you to Azusa Street. Come on now. Do you know how many people got the Holy Ghost in Azusa Street? My Lord, it was the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I heard it all my childhood. Here's the big question for you. How many people were baptized in Jesus' name at Azusa? Anybody want to take a guess? Zero. How many people were baptized in Jesus' name in Topeka, Kansas? Zero. You do realize that the Azusa Street Revival was broken up because of racism. Boy, we just pushed the hot button, didn't we? And we're wondering why we're distracted in the 21st century. God's trying to pour out His Spirit. Truth is trying to be revealed. And Mr. Parham doesn't like Mr. Seymour. And so division comes and truth is stifled. What was the, what's the number one? Luke 21, we just talked about it. What is the number one thing that's going to cause issues in the end time church? What is it? Uh-oh. Deception. So we've got our group. We've got our ideas. We are the orthodox believers. We've, we go back, man. We've got all of this. Yet we run, we run our roots to a Trinitarian revival. We live now in an age where sacrifice is defined as I go to church three times a week and sometimes even make the Thursday night prayer meeting. We call it sacrifice because our children have to go to school and be dressed differently than everybody else at school. My kids have sacrificed. Don't teach your kids at that sacrifice. It has never been a sacrifice for me to be holy, ever. It is not a sacrifice for me to go on vacation and still be apostolic. Come on, somebody. We've got this, we've got this subculture together that, man, we, we, we know what we're doing. We got it all together. And then I, I look at this end time situation that we're in right now where I believe, I mean, this is it's a pretty obvious statement, but I mean it's sincere that we're closer to the coming of the Lord than we've ever been. I mean, man, we're, we're just like, it's there. It's, it's crazy. It's insane what's happening right now. We're there. But as I search my heart in this chapter and I read the words... Pray that you always, always pray that you be counted worthy. I started asking my heart and asking God, is the subculture of Pentecost enough for me to be worthy? Just because I live separated, is that enough to be worthy? 
Because we have it in our minds that if our women dress different and our men are holy, and boy, I'm telling you, our men take it rough under the chin, don't we? I look at our poor women and the things that they've had to put up with and the mockery, and I think, oh boy, man, I have really, really paid the price. Because I was the only guy in the whole court that didn't play ball in shorts. I paid the ultimate price. That would have been a good time for you women to say amen. <laughs> you, you understand what pastor's saying? It's almost like we're, we're so in love with the subculture of who we are. That we think that's what it's going to be for us to be counted worthy. Man, I hope I'm not boring y'all to death because i got to get this out of my spirit. It's like we have this idea of what holiness looks like. And if you ask the average apostolic what holiness looks like, and if I have to preface all this, then you don't know your pastor's heart. But you ask the average apostolic what holiness looks like, and they start talking about the way we dress. Yet nowhere in the New Testament was the word confirmed with the subculture of Pentecost. It was confirmed with signs. It was the way they acted in their day-to-day life that caused people to be convinced they've got something we don't have. But when they came to church, they weren't known by how they dressed. They were known by their power that they had. And so I started asking myself, God, am I really doing enough by just doing what we know to do? And my heart immediately goes to the scripture where Jesus starts in with this parable about a man coming in at the end of the day to work. And he gets paid a lot of money and it makes other people mad. And Jesus busts off into this deal. And he said, now let me ask you this question. He said, how many of you would have a servant come in at the end of the day and you'd get up and start feeding him? And he breaks this whole thing down. I'll spare you the whole story. You can go read it. Here's the line I want to get to. He says, you would look at your servant and say to him, whenever you've done all that's been commanded of you, say then you are unprofitable. Think about this church family. He said that servant is not even faithful. He just did what he was asked to do. And we look at this life that we're in right now. And you know I'm not the young preacher anymore. I'm not the young guy. There's young guys coming up behind me. I'm trying to come to grips with the fact when I go to conferences. There's people calling me a middle-aged pastor. I'm like, you better back up, sucker. I'm still young enough to be on the youth board. I got a half a term left that I could be if I wanted to. Like a term and a half. So. And, and I, I, I look at all this. And I see people in my generation and by coming behind me that are trying to say, now please don't run off and leave me right here. They're trying to say that what we have done till this point is not even necessary. 
And so my question is about being counted worthy here. If what we've been commanded to do is not enough. I believe somebody can preach this next line for me right here. If what we've been commanded to do is unprofitable. What does that say about people who are arguing whether or not that's still right? You want me to tell you what it is? Jesus dealt with it. He said that the righteous will scarcely be saved. I'm not telling you that we've got to preach it harder than everybody else and that we've got to wear white shirts and that your skirt's got to drag the ground. I think we ought to know there's got to be a difference between us and the world. I think you know the heart of your pastor. I think we ought to be holy and separated. But when we speak of holiness, if the first thing that comes to our mind is the way that we're dressed, but inside we are like a whited sepulcher full of dead men's bones, we do not understand holiness. And if we're at a place now where we're debating and arguing whether or not the things that have made us separate are even necessary anymore, then I wonder what in the world the inside looks like if we're still fussing about what we're doing on the outside. It's Wednesday night. Is everybody doing okay? I think we need a little bit of this from time to time. I'm saying to you right now, I still believe with all of my heart that the way I dress is not holiness. Holiness within me is what manifests on the outside of me by the way I dress. The reason I do what I do is not to make me holy. If I'm holy, then what I do won't be a problem. So again, it comes back to that one magic word of motive. What's your motive? Why do you want to stop preaching that? Why do you want to stop believing that? And so here's what happens. We go from things, and please don't misunderstand and misconstrue what I'm saying. I, don't, I, I want God to help us with this spirit of revelation right now. Understand me. This is not a new revelation. It's as old as there is. Genesis 1, he separated light from darkness. Brother Lang posted it this week from the academy. There's always been a separation of light and darkness, so don't question pastor's motive. But understand me, when I say to you tonight that what God is doing in the end time church to, to count us worthy, he is not looking at people to say, what church has the strongest standard? He's looking to see what church is holy. And it just so happens that holy churches have a standard. If I get out of line here, mother, you just pull on my jacket. I, I'm, I want us, if nobody else does, and I don't want this to sound like an isolation statement, but if I can't help what every other church in America does. I can't. I wish I could. It's not my responsibility. But I'm going to make some statements to you right here that are strong. 
And I want to tell you that the reason why I feel so strongly about being a praying church is because that makes a holy church. Now, I know people that have prayed without living a separated life, but I don't really know people that are truly separated to God that don't pray. Am I helping you? They've got control of their flesh. They fast frequently. They pray often. And they're different. They don't, they don't argue about how we look. They don't argue about how we dress. It's never been about whether this is a heaven or hell thing. I never dreamed 30 years ago, Sister Wanda, that I'd be your pastor. Ever. But I want you to know that I appreciate you. Because you have looked just like a lady my whole life. A lady. There is something special about being what we've been. So I, I, I don't want that to be misunderstood. But what I'm wondering tonight in my brain, in my medulla oblongata, Is what we've been really enough to be worthy? And have we got to the place that we worship who we are more than we worship who He is? Man, I'm trying hard right now. Because if we stand before the Lord and the only thing we can tell Him is we dress different than everybody else. God is not impressed because we separated ourselves. Your motive for separation matters as much as your separation. Because if you're separated so the world can look at you and say, oh wow, you're separated. Then you're not separated to God. That is called self-righteousness. And your righteousness is as filthy rags. But when I do it because I've fallen in love with Jesus, and it's really not about whether this or that is going to send me to heaven or send me to hell. No, no, no. I do it because I fell in love with him, and there's nothing too much of him to ask of me. I would lay down my life for him. I can't speak out of one side of my mouth that I'm willing to die for him, and out of the other side of my mouth that it costs too much to live for him. I'm watching. I'm, I'm, I'm watching. I know there's people watching too. So, I, But I'm watching. Over the last seven months, God took a bunch of our excuses away. All the gods of this world were absolutely shut, slammed down. I was so shocked the other night. I got on, uh, I think it was Twitter, scrolled through. And realized that the NBA championship happened the other night. I didn't even know what happened. I really, I, honest to God, I didn't even know what happened. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching all this stuff going on and I'm thinking to myself, we got more theaters closed down, ball games closed down, everything's closed down. So 
we ought to be having a little less to worry about. And as soon as the stadiums opened up, apostolics got in ticket lines. They're no more separated than they were. Not praying any more than they were. But they absolutely could not wait to get in line to go be entertained. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, is, that, is it enough to be worthy? Let me, let me teach you a, a principle that you know. Is everybody doing okay? I, man, I know this is a little bit different. I don't want you passing out sleeping on me. I want to tell you all something about the spirit of compromise. The very nature of the beast itself, the spirit of compromise in and of itself, is never satisfied. That's the nature of the word, compromise. It's never satisfied. If you're willing to compromise for this, then at some point you have to be willing to compromise for that because compromise, it's not satisfied. And so the reason why I have such issue with people compromising on whatsoever you've been commanded to do is because that becomes their idolatry. I hope I'm making sense. What they've been commanded to do becomes their idolatry. And the Lord said that's unprofitable. And the rest of this over here that we've just left laying dormant. The extras, the, the sacrifice, the giving, the heart that says, Lord, whatever you would ask of me, I'll gladly do that. But I'll lay my life down. I'll, I'll give you anything you want of me. And I've watched the spirit of the former. That it's never satisfied with just saying, I think it's okay for us to start trimming our hair. Once they start trimming their hair, it isn't long at all till the Holy Ghost is good, but it's not essential. It's like skirts get a little bit shorter, skirts get a little bit tighter, slits get a little bit higher. But it's, okay. it's, a, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's okay, Pastor. It's all good. And then they say, well, you know, I mean, does it really matter how you're baptized? Whoa. I don't, I'm not real sure that we as... A body understand how quickly you can regress. And when I say body, I'm not just talking about FPC. I'm talking about the church of the living God. I, I'm not really sure we understand how quickly. You, you, you know how we are. You know how we are. We say somebody's backslid when they've stopped coming to church. Oh, Lord Jesus. Think, think about this. I would say they were probably backslid before they stopped coming. You, you understand what I'm saying? We look at the mechanics of the subculture and we go, hmm, they haven't been here in a few weeks. I, I think they're backslid. Well, walk back about six months before that last service they were here. Hadn't seen them weep a tear. 
Haven't seen him in the altar. Boy, it's tight, but it's right up in here right now. We cannot look at the mechanics of Pentecost and judge the spirit of the person of whether or not they're worthy to be counted worthy to escape these. We, you, can't, you can't call them worthy because they're here every service. Because the private world of that person may be completely contrary to what we're seeing in the public eye. Oh, my, my, my. It's a lot more fun when we're doing miracle signs and wonders, isn't it? And so here's, here's where a pastor's at. I have frequent conversations with some of our young ministry and preachers and men that God has blessed me to speak into their lives. And it seems to me that if during this pandemic, if nothing else has happened, there has certainly been a separating of the wheat and the tare. And that God is identifying people that are satisfied and Lord know my heart tonight. But people are more satisfied with a hand of fellowship to receive the, the hand of fellowship from men to carry a card and say I'm a part of such and such organization than they are to say I'd rather have fellowship with God if those men forsake me. Can I, can I just be like crazy, crazy real with you tonight? I don't need to belong that bad. I don't. And I'm, I'm a loyal person. My dearest friends can tell you I'm loyal to the death. I'm, I'm loyal to the bone. I'm, I'm loyal to a fault. But I am not, I am not so, I, I, I refuse to live my life so loyal to ideas of circles of influence so that I can have influence. I would rather be counted worthy by God to escape these things, so to speak, than I would be to be counted worthy of men to say, man, I hope he'll come preach our conference. Because the truth of the matter is, we have proven, and I, I hope they all kick back off here real, real soon. But we have proven now for seven months, you don't have to have conferences to be saved. Now there's a thought. I cannot believe we haven't had a single camp meeting and y'all are still saved. Do you see what I'm talking about, the subculture? We've developed this, oh my God, we're not having youth convention? I know. Think of all the kids that didn't get up on the last night and say, Lord, I'm through fornicating. I'm going to go home and start preaching. I want you to think about it. It's this thing that like, if we don't have, what are we going to do? Pastor, what are we going to do without camp meeting? You're going to keep living for God. Hey, I don't want this to mess with anybody, okay? Listen, we did not have general conference this year. So none of our preachers got to vote on anything, Brother Horner. 
I can't believe the church is still alive. What in the world? I mean, what are you going to do if you can't elect another superintendent? Oh, my God. Well, we're probably going to keep growing, going to keep praying, going to keep fasting. Because there's a spirit of this age, whether we want to believe it or not, that, that to be elevated of men, you've got to have the vote of men. And at some point, no matter how, I told one of our young preachers tonight before church, I said, I don't care how much conviction you've got. If you're going to lead in large groups like, like organizational things, at some point you have to say, even if I believe that, it's going to be hard for me to push that on everybody. And so this is where we come to conviction or preference. And I feel like that where God is moving us to, not as this local assembly, I'm talking about the church in the end time, where God is moving us to is that we're not so much consumed with the applause of man. Because I don't have to pray always to be counted worthy by men. Now I'm going to step out here and make a little statement concerning the end times, the rapture, eschatology, pre, mid, post, all that. We're not going to go to the deep end of the pool, but let me stay right here in the shallow end of the pool. It could very well be that the difference between those who are counted worthy to escape the things that Luke 21 alludes to and talks about, which I, I understand a lot of that 70 AD, but, but let's just stay in the shallow end of the pool. I'm just saying, pre, mid, post, all of that, it could very well be that the people who do escape things are because they're counted worthy by him and not by him. Wow. Think about that. It could be because we're not seeking the applause of men. Let me, uh, let me bounce some of this scripture off. I'm, I'm trying to hurry. Everybody doing Okay. Jesus said, in that day many shall come to me and say, Lord, Lord. Now I'm going to get down here where you live in church, okay? So everybody just put your seatbelt on for a few more minutes. Lord, Lord. Did we not? And they start down the line. We cast out devils. We healed the sick. And we did it all in your name. Okay, everybody with me? And the response is, you're a worker of iniquity. What? Listen, don't let this blow your brain. Jesus said there is a time that ministry can become iniquity. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? What would it be? That if devils were cast out and, and, and the sick were healed, that Jesus could say, it's iniquity. I would say probably the first step to understanding in this is who got the glory in the matter. Are signs confirming the word or are signs confirming us? 
Because that crossover moment becomes a worker of iniquity, although they did it all in Jesus' name. And the sad portion is he said, get out of here. I don't know you. This is intimate language. I don't know you. We're not intimate together. You don't know me. You haven't been praying. You haven't been talking to me. You've been doing signs so that people think you're spiritual. But I don't know you. You're not worthy. Oh, man. This is heavy, I know. Where do you go from here? You understand what I'm saying? We look at this world and we think, oh, I can't wait, man. I can't wait till we, we grow. I can't wait till we get this conference. We get that conference and this and that happens. Listen, this is not coming from bitterness at all tonight. I preach my fair share. I thank God for everything I've got to do. I thank God for organization. I shouldn't have to preference any of that. But understand, Pastor, when I tell you, I don't want to stand before the Lord and our general superintendent and our district superintendent and our mission director and all them look at me and say, now this right here is a preacher. And God to look at me and say, now who are you? Do I know you? Yeah, you know me. Because I've traveled the world. Lord, I've burned up hundreds of thousands of sky miles on Delta. You know me. Mm. I don't think I do. You've been working iniquity. What I'm saying to you, church family, is that if you want to be counted worthy, your number one investment has got to happen when the stage lights are not on. Your number one investment has to be given to God when there's nobody beside you on the pew and you're all by yourself with God because you're not going to stand before God with everybody that's on your pew and him say, oh, y'all enter in. He's going to look at you and say, enter in or depart. If you want to be counted worthy, you're not going to be counted with the crowd. You're going to be counted by yourself when you're willing to lay down your life. He didn't say if any church come after me, if any organization come after me. He said if any man come after me, let him deny himself. He didn't say let that church deny itself. He said let the man deny himself. And a church that's made up with men and women that live in denial will be a church that is counted worthy. We invest in the things the most that live on earth. And we invest the least in things that live for eternity. We lay up treasures where moth and rust doth corrupt. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your family and taking care of your retirement and taking care of your kids and whatever else you got. I don't know. The way that... My wife and I and our family feel right now that it'd be all right with me if we don't have to settle any more deaths. And, you know, I mean, this is, I, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. 
When you look at what people live their whole life for and they take their last breath and you think it's like, oh my goodness, look at what they've done. And then you go through their stuff and you're like, whoa. <laughs> my wife and I were laughing the other night because uh, her grandfather, Grant McCausland, it's just the two of them living in the house. Uh, my father-in-law left years and years ago, obviously, and, and uh, their other son, Rodney, passed away a few years ago. It's just them. So Graham had things in every corner, and things are all over the place. My mother-in-law started going through Gramps' clothes. I don't think he ever got rid of a suit. <laughs> My wife said, was it 70 pair of pants or something like that? 70 pair of pants. 70 pair of pants that my mother-in-law took to the uh, thrift store, whatever it was. And I started thinking about it. I was like, I'm going to go home and count mine. <laughs> w- it ain't 70. <laughs> but I wonder how many I got. I wonder how many britches I got. And you get to the end of your life. And, you, you know, you look and you're like, oh, man, that car, oh, that house, oh, my gosh, I need that. And then you get to the end and it don't matter. And you're like, wow. And you realize that all of your investment in things that live on beyond you are the most valuable investments that you'll ever make. Church family, listen to pastor when I tell you tonight, there is nothing more valuable that my children can see me do than pray. Nothing. There's nothing in this world more valuable that my children can see me do than be a man of God outside the church and in the church. Nothing. I feel like God is wanting to use this church to somehow lead in our movement. God, please don't let this sound arrogant, but you are precious people. You are godly people. This church, you ask evangelists to come here, and they will tell you, uh, please don't think I'm, I'm, I'm being haughty. I, please. Brother Atkins said the other night, but evangelists that come here will tell you, this is one of my favorite places to preach. They love you people. You're godly people. You are holy people. But I feel like God is trying to, trying to put this church in a position that in the end time we can be a place If we will not compromise what we believe, what we love, what we live, what we stand for, that when people get discouraged and pastors start to throw in the towel and say, this is, it costs too much to preach this. I don't want, I don't want to do this anymore. They can look at us and say, but I know so-and-so from Anderson. 
And when those people could have quit, they just kept on living holy. And when they lost loved ones and when they went through trials and they went through struggles, listen, you never know who's watching you. You don't have to be the biggest frog on the telephone pole for people to know that you are a good person and that God has his hand on your life. You are valuable. And everything that you do goes towards counting you worthy and not your pastor. That's why I don't want y'all living holy to make me happy. I'm happy. I love you no matter what. I love you. I've loved people that's left here. I, I, I hope to God there's not a backslider in Anderson that can say when they left this church, if they saw me, I treated them differently. I want to love people. But I want to be counted worthy. When I stand before the Lord. That I, did, I didn't just do. What Pentecost commands us to do. Is that important? Bet your bottom dollar. The last dime you got. This life that we live. It's imperative. It's paramount. It's important. Absolutely. But if it's just about what I've done, so that people can look at me and say, wow, that's not holy. Can you imagine all the prayers that you prayed and for your motive to be revealed that you wanted people to say, now that person's a prayer warrior. I'm asking God tonight to search my heart to search through this church. I feel like the sifting has begun. I never really fully got to where I wanted to finish tonight in this lesson. But I feel like the sifting has begun in the church. God, whether, whether people want you to believe this or not. You just listen to passion and let me tell you. God has been working more restoration during this crazy time in the earth than you could imagine. People are being restored and renewed and refreshed. Backsliders are coming. I'm not talking about just here. All over. People are coming back home. Now, people are getting carnal. People are getting stagnant. All that keeps going. But God's working. Restoration is happening. And the sifting is happening. I, I don't like saying this kind of stuff when it hurts people's feelings. So don't let your feelings get hurt. But you just hear, Pastor, if you don't want your seat bad enough, God's going to give it to somebody in the end time. If you, if you don't want your ministry bad enough, it's going to happen. It's going to be done. God's work will be accomplished. And he'll gladly move somebody out of the way that does not want to be counted worthy to find somebody that give everything they have. Let's stand together. I've, I've been up here too long. I want to be worthy. I don't do what I do because I want people to say, wow, look how you do it. I want to be worthy. I want to be holy. I want to be godly. I can't speak for everybody. But I can tell you that as for me, as a man, as a pastor, I could not live less or preach less than I do and be saved. I can't, because that's me. 
But I feel like there's going to be a lot of people that are surprised on Judgment Day. Because they're going to stand before the Lord with uncut hair, long dresses, dressing different. And when they stand before the Lord, they're going to say, Lord, look what I've done for you. And I did it all in your name. There's only one response to that. I don't know you. Can you imagine? I'm just going to walk you through this little scenario here. That all of a sudden, the world that you recognize disappears. No longer does it look the same. You're in a celestial place that you've never been, seeing things you've never imagined seeing. And all of a sudden, you see this face whose radiance outshines the sun. Amen. And you stand before him, and we realize, Sister Jenny, we've lived all our lives for this right here, right here. And I see him. Oh. And I realize how holy he is. And it's my turn. And I step up to the line. And I look at him. And my life starts playing like a role, like a reel. Just through eternity I see my life, every deed, good and bad. And here I am where I've wanted to be. He looks at me and he says, you're a worker of iniquity. Depart from me. Huh. But God, I preached. Lord, even in the pandemic, we had church. We did the mechanics. God, I preached to empty buildings and parking lots and cameras and empty rooms. I did all that. Sorry. I don't know you. Can you imagine? Pastor, is this, is this fear preaching? No, 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 no. This is faith preaching. This is mercy preaching. This is giving somebody tonight a chance to understand this is not about the Sunday, Wednesday mechanics. This is about every day. Rising to your feet and saying, Lord, today, I want to be worthy. If I go by the grave, I go by the trumpet. God, it don't matter how I go. All I know is, Lord, when I come before you and I bow at your feet... I'm casting all my crowns down because it's not about me. Lord, if you don't say anything, just say I'm worthy. If you don't say anything else, just say enter in. Enter in, thou good and faithful. Enter in. Pastor, why? 
Why on a Wednesday night? Why? Why is this important? Because every single person that's under the sound of my voice right now needs to be sure that before you lay your head down tonight, before you leave this building tonight, that you can say, Lord, tonight, if you were to return, I would be one of the ones counted worthy to escape and stand before the Son of Man. I want you to think about this tonight. This entire lesson has been taught. Not one time has hell been mentioned. Because that can't be your motive. You got to fall in love with Jesus. You got to fall in love with him. Not just his processes. He didn't say, I want you to love my commandments by themselves. He said, I want you to love me and you'll keep my commandments. What's the greatest commandment of all? Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. Everything that lives in the earth. And everything that lives beyond the earth. I don't know what's going to happen. If I go by the grave, I don't know how long it's going to take my soul to separate from my body. There's a lot of things I've studied and studied and studied, and there's different ideas. I don't know how all that works. I don't know if you just leave this life and immediately stand before judgment. There's so many things that you could kind of decide either way, but here's what I know. I know that I'm living now, and someday I'll be judged. That's what I know. Right now, I'm breathing. It's oxygen. It's, it's in this realm, and someday... This is going to be over. And I will stand before God. And I will be judged. And I'll be held accountable for every work, every word, every deed, good or bad. And all I want to hear him say is, son, you're worthy. You're worthy. Enter in. I don't care if after I draw my last breath, it's a thousand years of earthly time before I stand before him. I don't care if it's a million years. I just know when I stand before him, I wanted to hear him say, come on in, son. I know I've been up here a long, long, long time. I understand that. But I wish you could feel my burden for just a minute tonight. It don't matter how much money you have. It don't matter how much things, possession. It, it, I, listen to pastor, it don't matter. Get all you can get. Enjoy your life. Work hard. Lay up. Retire well. Do all of that. But when you're dead, it don't matter. Live well. Prosper. Be blessed. Drive the nicest car you can afford. Get you a big old house. If you can afford it, get it. But when you die, that house is going to burn down someday. And it won't matter if you drove a 1974 Pinto until the wheels fell off or you had a brand spanking new S-Class Mercedes. And I hope all of you can buy one. But it ain't going to matter. Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, 
Your life's ambition was to drive the nicest cars on asphalt pavement. And now your feet are going to miss walking on street of gold. No. I ask him tonight, Lord, is my heart right with you? Is my heart right with you? Is it important for us to be separated? Yes, it is, but it won't even be an issue if we're holy. God, don't let us be stuck worried about trivial things. God, let us give our best, put our best foot forward, work the best we can, put you first, do well in the earth. But above all else, let us please you. God, I pray a blessing spirit over this church. I pray you'd release an entrepreneurial spirit in this church. People can make good money and have good favor and live well and be blessed and all of that. I, I pray that over this church. Until that becomes their major number one priority, then take it away from them. God, give us what we can handle. What you can trust us with and us still be saved. I want you to trust us. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see God. One glimpse of His dear face. All sorrows will erase. So let us run this race till we see Christ. It will sing it, church, be worth it all when we. Life's trials will seem so small when we see God. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows will. Thank you, Jesus. Us run this race till we see Christ. Could you just lift those hands? God, bring eternity into perspective for us tonight, God.
Come on, there ain't no sense in leaving here tonight without talking in tongues. <laughs> I don't want no preacher standing up by my casket having to make up stories to make my family feel better. Sister Yolanda, I want to make it. Whatever it cost. I want to make it. Hallelujah. I guess in times like these, what matters the most is what surfaces. I love you, church. I thank God for you. It's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. We'll have prayer tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Be dismissed as you so wish tonight. Please carry conversations to the lobby. I love you. We'll see you tomorrow night at prayer meeting.